Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. It's completely up to you whether you can steward that journey, learn the lesson, and here's the lesson, to humble you and test you. Anyone feeling tested? Here's why he's testing you. In order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands, he humbled you to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's bread again. He has to humble us so we're not fixated on on the, the supply of the world, but we're fixated on getting guidance from him at many levels. Now, Jesus used this same scripture. He had to go through wilderness too. It's not a sign that you're sinful. It's a sign that you're human. And even Jesus needed to be perfected. He had his promised land coming as well. He was perfect. He still had to grow. He still had to become more mature, and so do we. And when he went through his wilderness, it was only 40 days. He did better than you and I. My, my one that I recognise, and I've been through many, was 14 years. How you doing? I was stubborn. I had to be humbled. And I'm still working on that. So it's just not much fun at all. But Jesus used this same scripture when Satan tempted him. You know, they turn these stones into bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay, we get that. Great concept, God. So the wilderness is this lack of natural supply. The remedy, what you're trying to teach me is that I need to live from your word. How do I do that? What word? What? We start rattling the cage of our life that he seems to have us trapped in. What's the principle? What's the understanding? And there's, there's a few levels to how God's word begins to transform us and how we learn to live from his word. And there's a few levels to this. There's a foundational level where his word just reminds us of a sense that he's close. Sometimes in the wilderness, we just need to know, am I on my own here? Because I'm pushing hard and, I, and I'm not getting anywhere and I'm tired and I'm venting and I'm doing all this sort of stuff. I'm screaming out and sometimes his word, rather than a word of guidance, his word comes to us and says, it's okay, you're not alone. I'm with you. And something happens in our heart when we have faith enough just to hear that and say, I'm not on my own. I had this about three years ago, very strong, where I was living just, I was, you know, when you're a point leader for something and dads and mums will know this, if you run a company, you'll know this, or you're a leader in ministry, all the paths of responsibility come back to ground zero. And you just feel like nothing's going to, unless it all comes back to me, I'm responsible for every mistake, I'm res- responsible for what's good or what's bad, and all the arrows point there. And God just spoke to me so clearly and said, don't forget you're not on your own here, Pat. The buck doesn't stop with you, mate. There's someone else. There's another rung of leadership there. There's another rung of ultimate supply. And I just needed to know. Nothing changed. I just needed to know. He's with me, just like he's with you. And it's not all about you. And he's trying to get you to the space where it's not just about you. There's another way his word comes, where it's a feeding, it it fills your soul, it restores your heart. And in the absence of the guidance that we seek, sometimes he has to say, before I give you that, I need to get you to a place where you're allowing me to feed you right in the middle of this wilderness, that I'm enough for you, that I'm restoring your soul, that he leads us beside still waters. Because the wilderness is not a desert. The wilderness is a place of, of springs and food and all that sort of stuff. It just depends what we make of it at the time. And then if we can build ourselves on that foundation, then his word can come to give us the guidance that we just so would love to have. God, get me out of here. What are you doing? Is there a specific path that you want me on? 
And so we've got to build our level of learning to live from the Word of God at a foundational level, then a, like a pillar level, and then a rooftop level. And His guidance often is the rooftop. But, but we can't perceive that guidance accurately if God Himself is not enough in the absence of that guidance. So he, He's building us faith. Because the promised land, if you remember the story, the promised land, it was no easy slog. They didn't go in there and go, and all the giants fell over. They had to kill those guys. They had to slog around Jericho. They had to blow the trumpet. They had to make war. They had to work with God, not have God work for them. There was a huge transition from slaves to sons that had to go on there. And the only way you can navigate that partnership, because don't be fooled to think that your promised land that's coming, your calling in God is easy, Partnerships are hard. Anyone ever had a business partnership? It's tough. Get two people to think and do what they're supposed to do. you know. And we're in partnership with God. We are co-heirs. We're, we're co-laborers with him. And there are expectations on us in this partnership to have a good attitude, to be faithful, to pray, to rely on him, all these sorts of... And if we fail, it seems to hamper. It's like God's trying to walk, but he's, he's handcuffed to us. Like a three-legged race that doesn't work. And so these types of guidance change. I remember many years ago, uh, long a long time ago in, a, in an early ministry context, I, um, I, I found this out where God's word had to, had to speak to me in a certain way. Very difficult situation and I'd sort of parachuted into a situation where there is existing parties at war. Ever been in a work environment where there's people aren't getting on and you can't fix it? You try to mediate, you try to play your part, but you're powerless in there, you're just watching this thing, you're a spectator. And it was just becoming unhealthy. It was just becoming a little bit toxic. And, and, um, and I'd said before I went into ministry, I'd said, God, I'm... Because I wasn't interested in going into full-time ministry because I, I dislike really greatly, and pardon me, uh, church politics amongst leaders. It's just, I find it, it debilitates my soul. I want to curl into a corner and go, God, there's got to be a better way the kingdom grows. But where there's people, there's politics. And so I understand that. You've got to navigate this stuff. But I thought I'd rather do it in a workplace where at least I can say, here's what you're supposed to do. I'm paying you, get it done. You know, it was a lot easier when I was in business. And, um, and so this situation was out of control. So I, I decided, well, it can't be God's will that I'm there. Simple conclusion, makes sense, it's debilitating, I'm, it's not healthy, I'm out of here. You know? so, so Trish and I went away for a weekend up to Calandra, which we, we love to do, and just seek God up there. And, and my prayer was, well, Father, it's obviously unacceptable that I stay there, so either I leave or they leave. So, when, so I'm praying through now, until you speak to me, which one's it going to be? I mean, that sounded, you're having a smile, that sounded very reasonable to me. <laughs> it's just like, this is, the situation's impossible, so I'm going to go or they're going to go. And that's, that's what's going to fix it. That's what we call focusing on the bread. It's focusing on what I lack. And, and Jesus comes back and says, why are you focusing on the bread? So it's interesting. Now remember the context. I'd said to God, I don't want to go into ministry because of all the politics. I'm in ministry like three minutes and I'm immersed in politics. And so now I'm saying, well, God, get me out of here. And, and no sooner had I opened my Bible, on the first afternoon, he didn't even, it was just immediate Went to 2 Peter 1.3 and it's become this anchor verse in my life since. This is nearly 20 years ago. His divine power has given me everything I need for a godly life through my knowledge of him who called me by his glory and goodness. And you know how sometimes you just get, you read the Bible and sometimes the Bible reads you? It was like, ah, oh. it's like we can go home. Trishy, God's spoken. It's like, why are you considering... 
No bread. Why have you dared come to me with the logic of lack when I've promised to give you everything that you need for life and godliness? How can you come to me and say, here's the ultimatum based on what you don't have? He's telling me, I'm going to give you everything you need. Get back in there and fight the fight I've put you in for. And by the way, this was the bit I didn't like, about your reasons for delaying getting in ministry, don't determine my direction for you based on an assumption that you can't get through. Man, that was a hard introduction to ministry. In other words, don't, this is a stern word from my dad. Don't you dare come to me based on what you don't think you can handle in my strength. Man, reality check. And I went back and, 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 I, and I overcame. It was incredible. I just had to, all I needed was God's word. He spoke and with the word comes faith and with the word comes determination and you can get through. But if I remove the shackles of what that word's supposed to look like, if I cease to focus on the lack of bread, if you, if you don't understand what I'm saying there, listen to last week's message online. So the key point here is that a fixation on the problem can divert our eyes from unseeable potentials. The best we hope for is problem removed. And so our prayer mode becomes like, um, let's get to the baseline. Father, that's what I'm, I'm just hoping for zero. Oh, I've got all these problems here. Can you just get me to zero? I don't care about what's ahead of that. Just get rid of the problems. Fix the bread issue that I've got. But what if our logic started from zero? What if we said, no, I'm fine. God's got me covered. He knows what's unfair. He knows that it shouldn't be that way. He knows that it's complicated and it's debilitating for me. He knows that. I don't need to remind him. But what if I assumed he's got my back? What if I assumed he'll bring justice? What if I assumed he's got me covered and he's going to supply everything? What if I started with that assumption and my prayer life was different and I started saying, Father, this situation which is so ridiculous I can't get through, this is just a golden opportunity. You've set me up for an amazing win here. This is going to be awesome when this comes through. What a testimony it's going to be of your greatness when you invert this stupid situation that man's made into something that brings you incredible glory because only you could pull it off. What if my, what if my logic started there? And it can, and the whole point of Mark chapter 6 through to Mark chapter 8 in the, in the anecdotes we're drawing from that is that very point. God is already sufficient. I don't have to pray all the time that he would fix my problems. There's a moment when I can, I can assume, God, I've told you enough. I'm sick of hearing about it. I'm sure you are. I'm going to assume you're sufficient right now because you did say that you are. I don't have to pray that you would have to do something to prove it because you're sufficient. Imagine if you came in your prayer life and you actually heard God echo back, if I was truly enough for you, would you be asking this question of me right now? If I was enough, if I was actually sufficient for you, would you be burdening yourself with this issue? Would you be focusing on this bread issue? All right, let's, let's zoom back to last week, Mark chapter 6. So the sequence of what's happening through the Gospels, because this is what Jesus is trying to get through. This is core discipleship theory here. He's fed the 5,000. Peter's come to him and said, hey, they need food, send them away. He's going, hey, you feed them. They were supposed to learn something from that lesson uh, Jesus sends him out to the other side. He walks on water. He's walking by, if you, if you correlate the stories in Matthew and, and Mark and, and uh, John. Jesus is walking past. He, doesn't, he was going to walk straight past that boat. And then, unless they called him in, they say, hey, Jesus, is that you? Yeah, ah, guys, didn't notice you there. And, and comes over and then Peter walks on water. He fails the whole thing. 
And it, and it says there in Mark chapter 6, they, they were amazed because their hearts were hard and they didn't understand about the loaves and the feeding of the 5,000. So we went through that last week. Then they're on the other side. Now they're in the Decapolis, the region of the Gentiles, and they feed the 4,000. Then, uh, then Jesus has a, has a huge John chapter 6, if you read that, a whole argument with the Pharisees who are demanding he do what, he expect, what they expect him to do. If you're the Messiah, if you're God, you're supposed to do it the way we say. You've got to prove yourself. Imagine the gall of that. Imagine if Jesus fronted up and you, we say, oh, you reckon you're Jesus. Prove it this way. We want you to do it this way. Just fed 4,000. Yeah, that doesn't count because no precedent there. You know, and let's do it this way. Incredible situation. So they get back in the boat. Simon Peter hasn't thought to grab the extra basket full that's hanging over. He's just brought one loaf for them in the boat. There's 12 disciples and Jesus and, and one loaf. And he can't get his head out of the, out of the bread. So, aware of the discussion, Mark chapter 8, verse 17. Jesus asks them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? So we went through that cascading diagnosis last week. Then he goes on. Let me tease this out for you, he says. When I, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000... Who's good at algebra here? You've got to work this out. There was five loaves, 5,000. How many baskets of pieces did you pick up? Twelve. Okay, so there's a formula here. Obviously, we like the formulas. This is the formula you've got to follow. When there's 5,000 people, there's got to be, uh, uh, what did I say, five basketfuls, no, five loaves, 5,000, 12 end at the end. So when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls did you pick up? Seven. Okay, there's two simultaneous equations there. If you can crack the code, you've zeroed God in and he's got to do it that way. All right, you're on to me. He doesn't work that way. He's not a god of formulas. He loves just busting out of the formulas. A plus B plus C seldom equals D. Because he's into relationship, not into religion and rules. He just loves jumping out of the box. So, but the disciples there, they're trying to do the math on this. They're just going 5, 7, 12 at the end. Too many variables, X and Y. Well, I need, give us Y, Jesus. It's not, it's not working for you. So what I, I want to just lead into communion now with this. So I might just get the stewards if they can hand the communion out. That would be great while I'm just bringing this next point. What is it about... What's his point? Five, seven, twelve left over. His point is, it's not about what you start with. Try and hang in there with me while the guys are doing their thing here. Because this is really important. It's not about what you bring. It's not about whether we started with two fish or seven fish. It's not a matter of how many there are to be fed. In other words, it's not a matter of how big your problem is and it's not a matter of how, what you bring to the table to try and fix it. The only number that matters is what's left at the end. So if you look at when, whenever Jesus particularly, and particularly uh, the New Testament as well as the Old, but if they mention a number, that number matters. And Jesus is going there with a number. And the only number that matters is not what they started with, not how many they fed, it's what's left over. So, in the 5,000, there were 12 basketfuls left over. Can anyone figure out the significance of 12? 12 basketfuls. It's, he's in Israel. 12 tribes. 12 disciples. It's, it's the, the biblical number for government. And it's the biblical number for Israel in that sense, for God's people. He's saying, doesn't matter how many they are, I always have enough for God's people. I have everything that you need. 
Now, this isn't Pat's idea. I actually have done a fair bit of study on this, and, and the commentators all come back to the same point. It was significant that 12 were in Israel. Then Jesus says, let's go to the other side. How many were over there? There, was, there were 4,000 plus men and children. They're in the Decapolis. The Decapolis uh, is 10 cities are over there. But what we don't understand is in that Gentile region, there were seven major regions. How many basketfuls were left over? Seven. Seven. The point there being, I've got enough for God's people, but I've got enough for the world as well. No one misses out. This is a hugely significant point, and he's drilling it into their heads. Why don't you understand? It doesn't matter what the problem is. I'm always going to have enough for you, and I'm going to have enough for them out there as well, because I care as much about them as I care about you. And, and the needs for um, the reparation of sin and the needs of provision and all the stuff, all the problems of the world, Jesus is the answer and Jesus is enough. And he's promised there, do you not understand the problem isn't the lack? The issue is, is how do we partner in this? How do we work together to bring about the solution? See, God's supply never runs out. He's got enough for you. He's got enough for your family that's running away from God. He's got enough for your workplace that's broken and toxic. He's got enough money for you. He's got enough of everything for you. The issue is not supply. It's our partnership. It's do we trust him? Is he sufficient for us in the absence, in that little season where he's not talking to us? Because he, he, he removes himself at times. Right in the middle of the wilderness, he'll, he'll disengage to test you, to humble you, to see, am I sufficient for you? Because then I can build in guidance to meet your need completely because he has everything for us. So when we look at that bread and that juice that we have, it's, it's Jesus saying, I am enough. My body and my blood is enough for your sin. You don't have to remind me about how bad you are. I've got it covered. I've got you covered. I'm going to get you through. You're going to be okay. What is it that you need? What's, where's your heart broken? Where are you frustrated? I died for you. I am sufficient for every need. He, he did it for us. Let's pray. Father, we hold these little emblems. Inadequate, but it's what we've got right now, Father, the juice and the bread. Lord, your body hung on that cross. You died so that we wouldn't have to. Lord, your blood, your, your blood was shed in our place for the remission of sins. Father, by faith, we accept that. You did it for us. We thank you, Lord. And Lord, we thank you too. Just have in your mind right now all of those needs that you have, particularly for those, if you've got prodigal sons and daughters, he's enough for them. This blood and this uh, body was enough for their sins as well. So pray that God would give them faith to believe it. He doesn't need them to be perfect yet. He, he's, he's, his goal is to get them into the kingdom. They can learn to behave a bit later. Faith doesn't rely on performance. So call them in. Say, Father, this bread was enough for them too. Will you forgive them, Lord? Will you reveal yourself to them, Lord? Will you draw them in, Lord? Lord, it's enough for this situation I'm grappling with. It's enough. You are enough. It is finished. It is done. And we celebrate that in Jesus' name. Let's eat and drink together. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I'm not sure if the guys, do you still collect those things?
See, God's sufficiency for all things is the big point that, that Jesus is insisting that his disciples grasp. His MO, the way he used to do that, he doesn't give the formula. He, he, he does it through relationship. He wants to, even with the parables, it was, it was confusing for them because the people wanted the formulas. Just give us the rules, Jesus. You know, he said, no, I want you to want me and this is how it's going to work. So what I want to do now is go, is, is, is go back about four minutes in the conversation because Jesus actually gave them the answer as to why we can't partner. Why do we muck this up so often? It's when he first got into the boat. It says in Mark chapter 8, verse 13, Then he left them, meaning the Pharisees. He, was, he just had an argument with the Pharisees, frustrated. He got back into the boat and crossed the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Okay. Picture that. Jesus is in the back of the boat. He's frustrated with the, with the Pharisees, God's people. And he's in the boat and here's the disciples. And they're talking. Peter's going, I can't believe I only brought one loaf. And Thomas goes, I doubt you'll ever change. You know? <laughs> and John goes, it's all right, Peter, we still love you, man, but... It just means I'm going to be greater in the kingdom of heaven than you and you just got to get over this. So they're arguing away about this thing and Jesus is in the back of the boat and he goes, be careful guys. Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And they sort of looked at him, turned around again and they said, it's because we have no bread. He said that because we've got no bread. <laughs> it's funny, it's hilarious. You think, guys... Like if it was me, I'd say, no, it's not, it's not, I'm not saying it's because you have no bread. It's because all you, can, it's, it's all you can think about is that you have no bread. And it's like they're looking at him. Like Peter can't get the, the bread out of his mind. He's, he's starting to have the belly croak and he's just looking at Jesus. Jesus is talking about Pharisees and Herod. He looks at him and goes, did someone say KFC? It's like, <laughs> and Jesus is going, what? Do you not understand? But these leavens, these two leavens just kill understanding. And a leaven is a, is a first century way of saying, it's a way of thinking that just permeates. Leaven is yeast. It's just you knead it through the dough. You, you work it through. It's everywhere. You can't get it out once it's there. And he's saying these two ways of thinking is infiltrating everything that you do and you're missing the kingdom because of your attitude and the way you think, the logic. It, it, it's mucking you up. Today we might say materialism is a big one. It governs our prayers. I need, I need better. I need a good job. I need, I need all this stuff, whatever it is. It, it permeates our world. And he's saying that there's two, the Pharisees of Herod, these two types of thinking that mess you up. So the Pharisees, let me just peel in there for a little bit. The Pharisees had just had a stand-up argument with, with Jesus. They, they demanded that, they, that God fits into their box. This is the point he's getting to. You're trying to tell me that if I'm God, I've got to do it your way. So the creation is telling the creator what the creator must do. And Jesus has a basic problem with that, understandably. And um, so this, this leaven of Pharisaism, it's religion. It's, it's lacking of faith because it's all about rules. They're not hearing through relationship. They're not pressing in to know him personally. It's, no, we want to know the system. And so it's just about rules and judgment, defined expectations. Anyone put expectations on God? God... Need bread, God fix expectations. God, my life's messed up, can you fix my life? But he doesn't want to work that way, he wants to work through a partnership. So the Pharisees aren't interested in this way of thinking, they don't get it, they don't understand it. And he's saying that mindset 
of expectations on God is messing you up from hearing what he actually wants to do. Because we're judging God. We're judging the way it has to be. This is how the game is supposed to work, God. You're supposed to match it. And he, and he takes great delight in just not doing it. Paul was a Pharisee. The Apostle Paul, he had to learn this himself. He'd been a Pharisee and, and, and he had a debilitating illness. It talks about it in 2 Corinthians. And so he prays, God, fix it. I've got a thorn in my flesh. God, will you fix this thing? That's his prayer three times. God says, how about we go for the upgrade? 2 Corinthians 12. My grace, here it is, is sufficient for you. Why are you talking, Paul, about having no bread? It's the same conversation. Now, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast. This is the lesson he learned out of it. I'll boast all the more gladly now about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. What he learned there was, it's like Jesus says, Paul, Satan's done this to you. I didn't make you sick. I didn't bring this about. It's not my, my, my favourite outcome for you. But we can use this to slingshot you into something even more grand than me fixing this thorn. Because it, when you're aware of your weakness, you press into me even more. And when you press into more, you're the devil's greatest enemy. So the very thing he put, put against you can be the thing that, that makes you partner with me in even more power. And so you see this turbulence of life. You think, God, you could just easily make it better. But there's a, there was an even better outcome there this time. It's like we can use this thorn to become a, a slingshot into even more greater things. And so can you see the connection there between a foundation of sufficiency where the, where the basis is, God, I'm covered. You know about the thorn. But what's your plan? Have you got a greater plan for an upgrade here? Can we take, actually take kingdom ground here? And so you think of every frustration in your life. There's potential there. If the logic begins, God, you've got me covered, how about we do a wireframe prayer here? Here's the outline. God, can you fill that with something amazing that just not only puts the devil back in his place but sends the kingdom into advancement? See, we focus expectantly or what can be without definition instead of an expectation which is religion the leaven of the pharisees and what god's supposed to do for us see sometimes we'll do all sorts of prayer and fasting and seeking god we wonder why he's not speaking it's because we've given him left or right god like i did he's gone i choose neither i've got a better plan how about you go back in there and overcome and finish what i got you started on it's a different way of thinking. Leaven of Pharisees. Leaven of Herod's a very interesting one as well. And um, I'm just, I literally, I, I, we, we can only draw between the lines here. He doesn't, he doesn't flesh out what it is. But obviously Herod, if you know the history, was a puppet king. He was a vassal of the Romans. So he, he had no rightful claim to the throne. He shouldn't have been there. Jesus was actually, the, he, he had the rightful throne there. But Herod's in there because he used to play the game politically with the Romans. He knew how to play the game. But he was a killer. He was godless. He killed his own family, many members of his own family. He just slaughtered them. Uh, it's unthinkable in our day, but uh, this guy was the king of God's country, but he was a godless man. He, he did it, he broke all of God's rules, he did it without God's help, and he was just an, an absolute shocker. Um, the way history describes Herod, there, there is not one um, description that's positive. It's just this guy was a despot, uh, and that's quite something for history to recall a person that way. So looking the part but not having any heart, um, doing, even in a, in, a, in a sense in God's country, doing, doing it without God. And so this logic of Herod, this practical atheism, where everyone looks at you and goes, you're, you're the head of God's work there, but there's no God there. 
It's like you go into the workplace and you're the Christian person, but there's no God there. You know what I mean? It's like I'm doing it in my own strength. I'm trying to get this thing done. I know how to play the game. I can do politics. I can do I can whatever. But people look at us and, and if we're not careful, they say, yeah, but there's no God there. Where's this seasoning? Where's this fragrance of Christ? Where's this overcoming? And, and we can't live it because we're stuck in the leaven of Herod and the leaven of Pharisees where we're doing it in our own strength. It's got to look a certain way. And so we're bound up and we're not free to live from the abundant life that he's given us. Leaven of Herod, leaven of Pharisees. And so we can feel like you can do as a leader, like I was talking before, or a mum or a dad, all the arrows just keep pointing back at me. You know, it's all my responsibility. Everything's my fault. Well, it's not. You've got, you've got someone at your back who you're supposed to be in partnership with. And if you let go of the agenda, he can bring something even greater. So that's something to watch out for. But the last lesson I want to bring out of this, these chapters, and it's the other reason that we really challenge with thinking and understanding what God wants us to do in our hard times, is what do we do next as partners? Because our prayer, what we're often saying is, God, you fix it. He's saying, you feed them. My answer to the prayer is, you feed them. My answer to your prayer, Peter, is, you walk on water. My answer to the 4,000 is, you feed them. And so if we're... We don't want to go here because it's almost like, yeah, but if I pray, God's going to say, yeah, you feed them. If I start praying, God, will you fix this toxic workplace that I'm in? He goes, great, off you go. Now I want you to go and pray for your boss. I want you to send him a note honouring him. I want you to ask forgiveness and, and for yourself and for the person that you've been arguing with, that you spend all your time in private complaining about, sending emails and, and garnering support and doing all the stuff you're doing. I want you to stop that. And I want you to be what Jesus would be if Jesus was there. I want you to bring life and I want you to bring love. And it's going to cost you. You feed them. And so the answer to these prayers, because it's a partnership, it's a promised land partnership. We're always going to be part of the answer. And the disciples are there going, well, we've got no bread. We can't feed them. He says, well, what, what can you find? And so it becomes a different dialogue. We recognise we've got no power, but then he says, well, rustle up. Where's the little boy? How many fish you got? Let's go. Now break them into tens and twenties and fifties. So Jesus brings out this strategy. This is his word. This is his answer to the prayer. They're hungry. He says, break them into groups of tens and twenties and fifties. What's that got to do with it? Why would I do that? It's not your problem. Just do what he says. He's got a strategy. And it might start with someone else's supply. It may not be about you. But we can't see this if we're defining the expectation so tightly. God, just fix the problem. He says, no, 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 be quiet for a minute. See that guy on the desk opposite you? He's got a great gift of hospitality. What I want you to do is go and get them and see if you can recruit them into partnership and we're going to bless the whole workplace at Christmas and I want you to put cupcakes and cards and a, and a voucher for something on everyone's table and say, blessing, just want to bless you. That's my plan. No, God, I just want you to fix it. Yeah, that's how we're going to fix it. And, uh, and so it becomes this whole other issue where the answer to the prayer is going to become a partnership. It's going to require you to get over your attitude or your fears or your anger and become part of something constructive and think outside of the box. So we started this message talking about the wilderness today. And all this stuff that's happening is just preparation for the partnership to get you out of that wilderness so you can actually survive the promised land. God gets more involved when you get involved. 
He hopped into the boat when they recognised him and called out to him. He fed the 5,000 when they brought the problem to him and said, oh, here's the issue, Jesus. And so our prayers need to be bring that issue to him in the wireframe and then listen for the answer and be prepared to be part of that answer. It's when you lay a hand on the shoulder of the person at work and pray for their healing. It's when you commit to a huge mission project or a justice project with, with the supplies that you've got and you rustle up other people to, and garner support in there. It's when you commit to loving someone who's totally unlovable. Anyone know anyone like that? You think, God, it's impossible to love that person. They don't get me. They just argue. They bite back. They just, ah. It goes, great. You go love them. Let's do that together. You can only do that through my strength. This is going to be fun. It's not fun to me, Jesus. You go through this too, I know. All right, I just want to wrap this up and just bring in, do you understand? So do you understand? That's what he's saying. Is your prayer life still about the loaves or do you understand? So the understanding is if I take my eyes off the provider and just fix on the problem, I'm going to start sinking. If I don't understand, my prayers are going to be, God, you've got to fix this and I'm just going to keep hammering you in prayer until you fix this. Understanding is saying, Father, here's the problem. How can you and I work together and do an answer that's far bigger than the problem because you've got my back? That's what it looks like. That's understanding. Let's pray. Get the band to come up if they can hobble away there. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, this is as we pray. Peter is talking to the religious crowd and, he, and, the, and they've just seen the Holy Spirit come. And he says, this happens because you need refreshing. And he says, if you turn to Jesus, if you actually just turn to him and not rely on yourself, these times of refreshing can come. I can give you all that you need. And there's a real sense, as the intercessors were praying this morning, that God wants to bring this time of refreshing. It's almost like you've been banging up against your own strength. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's a horrible moment when you do that. When you, especially when you feel like you're running out and you just want things fixed. And he wants to actually do something else. He wants to give you refreshing, to fill your tank again so you can keep going and be who he's called you to be, to, to infiltrate that workplace and to, to love that family and to, and to get on with that person in church that's impossible to get on with. We've probably got 150 of those. I'm included. You can only do it with God's help. So Father, I really pray right now, we just come before you being transparent. We don't, we don't have to pretend we've got our eyes closed. It's just you and, and me. Father, I fail you. My flesh fails. But Father, you never fail. And you've always got our back. So Lord, we don't look to escape because the situation's gotten too hard for us. We look to the front foot solution here. Father, we, you need to give us what we can't give ourselves. So, Lord, will that time of refreshing now just come to your people? Will you blow through, Father, with your presence? Lift the spirits, the disappointments with family, the frustrations in our workplaces, the ministry load that's been so heavy on so many. Will you just bring refreshing now so our lenses and our vision would clear? We don't brush aside the problems. We know they're there, but we trust you that you've got our back and that we'll fix those and we'll just get on with it in your strength. Lord, will you lift off the burdens of our shoulders that don't belong to us?
lift the burdens. Lord, remove the pressure that we've taken as if it's just ours, as if you haven't got our back. Lord, we hand them to you. Lord, will you lift off us the weariness of 2019? So many of us have just fought the good fight, but we're weary. And so, Lord, I pray you just wash through and a time of refreshing would come as we turn to you right now. And for all of us, that as we celebrate the Prince of Peace, that we would return our peace. We won't be distracted by what's wrong. We'll be centered around the peace. So return now to joy. Return now to faith. Return now to hope. Return to love and return to peace. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. We look to you, Lord, not to our problems. Bless your people, Father, in the name of Jesus. Thank you.